This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Legal Talk Network. You are listening to Coast to Coast, the top-rated legal radio show on the Internet. I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi outside Boston, Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law, Craig. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Uh, in this edition of Coast to Coast, we are going to be looking at the growing battle over the drug Fosamax. It's more bad news for pharmaceutical giant Merck, which is already under fire for possible deaths allegedly linked to its drug Vioxx. Well, Bob, while you may not have heard of Fosamax yet, Merck markets Fosamax as a drug that increases bone mass, reduces bone fractures, and prevents and treats osteoporosis. Fosamax belongs to a drug class known as bifosinates, or excuse me, bisphosinates, and I'm not even sure how to pronounce that, <laughs> but it's in tablet form and commonly marketed to prevent and treat osteoporosis in postmenopausal women. Stronger forms are used to manage advanced cancers that have metastasized to the bone, and for cancer therapy, the drugs are given intravenously and usually for long periods of time. The drug has been taken by nearly 10 million people uh, most of them women. Fosamax is Merck's second best-selling drug after Vioxx, with sales topping $3.2 billion last year. Some users are now, though, saying that Fosamax is causing a permanent and debilitating condition called osteonecrosis of the jaw, ONJ, which means the rotting of the jawbone. And this comes with severe pain and constant discomfort. So is Fosamax the new Vioxx? Is Merck facing another round of huge lawsuits? Today we will get some answers to those questions. And to give us those answers, today is attorney Tim O'Brien. Tim is an attorney with a farm of Levin, Papantonio, Thomas, Mitchell, Eschner, and Proctor in Pensacola, Florida. Tim has taken the national lead in prosecuting Fosamax osteonecrosis of the jaw cases, and he's been interviewed extensively, quoted in Wall Street Journal, New York Times, the Associated Press, Bloomberg News, and by National Public Radio, CBS Radio, and Air America Radio, and now, of course, by Coast to Coast. So welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you, gentlemen. So can you tell us what's going on with the litigation involving Fosamax at this point? Yeah, let me kind of start out with how, uh, how the case came to me, because it came to me uh, actually through an interesting source. Last fall, a couple of dentist friends of mine who I know socially I grew up here, uh, grew up with here in Pensacola, came to me and said that they were seeing cases of this osteonecrosis, and had I heard anything about Fosamax? And at that point in time, I hadn't heard anything. And they asked me, um, they asked me some for some personal advice as to what the standard of care was for for dentists with respect to the treatment of uh, Fosamax patients. So as I went through the medical literature, uh, I saw that there was a really a, a problem that which appeared to be under the radar. And when I pulled the FDA file and found out what the FDA had said about the drug back in 2004, uh, it really um, it perked my antenna up. So at that point in time, uh, we looked around uh, in Pensacola and throughout Florida to see if anybody had these problems, and, and a lot of people had. And one of the uh, 
women who had the problem was a woman named Linda Seacrest. Now, Linda Seacrest is a woman uh, who, in her 50s, was prescribed osteonecrosis, or excuse me, was prescribed for osteoporosis, the, the Fosamax, by um, her rheumatologist. She eventually uh, developed osteonecrosis of the jaw and a condition called osteomyelitis, which is related. And because of that condition, she lost almost all of her teeth in her jaw. She had to have uh, her jawbone shaved down. She went through 60 hyperbaric treatments. Um, and then she went through actual intravenous antibiotics. She's gone through significant procedures already, and she faces a lifetime of, uh, of similar procedures because there is no healing process for the bone. So we filed a, a complaint for Linda, and actually Linda is serving as a potential class representative because not only do we file her case as a personal injury case, but we also filed it as a class action. And in the class action, which is pending in the Middle District of Florida, United States District Court, we have asked for two, two types of um, injunctive remedies, really. Number one, would be uh, to require Merck to actually warn doctors, because nowhere in the warning section of Fosamax are the prescribing physicians informed that this presents a risk of osteonecrosis of the jaw. And number two, what we'd like to have the court declare is the creation of a medical monitoring fund through which patients who have been uh, treated with Fosamax are regularly monitored by qualified dentists and oral surgeons to make sure that they're not getting osteonecrosis, and in the event that they have the early warning signs of osteonecrosis are treated both preventively and, in a sense, to minimize the loss before it gets to the condition where it's a full-blown osteonecrosis like Linda has. Tim, do you have any idea of, based on the 10 million people that are now taking Fosamax, what the percentage is of people that contract osteonecrosis? No, there's really no way of, uh, of judging that now. I do know this, um, that... From the standpoint of the calls that I am receiving, I am receiving a, a significant number of calls from patients who, who, while they do not have osteonecrosis, have the warning signs, the early warning signs for osteonecrosis, which is pain in the, uh, under the eye, like in the uh, cheekbone, um, sinus pain, uh, early loosening of teeth, and gum rotting, and I have just seen an incredible number of those. So with respect to osteonecrosis, that's kind of the end of the line of this process, this early debilitating process in the jaw. Uh, and from the standpoint of guessing how many of those millions of users um, will have it, uh, I, I would say that it's a big enough concern for a company like Merck uh, to be concerned from a reserves, a liability reserve standpoint. Tim, has this case been approved as a class action at this point? No, under the middle district rules, uh, the class certification hearing is presumptively scheduled for 90 days after Merck files its answer. Merck has been served, but they have not yet filed their answer. So the earliest the class certification motion would be heard by the court would be later this summer, probably in August. What is the role of the FDA in this? Do I understand that the FDA had asked Merck to uh, put a, a warning label on Fosamax and that that has not happened? Here, here's what the FDA did. The FDA... Uh, started looking at reports that were appearing in the medical literature of bisphosphonates that were used for chemotherapies. And the FDA said, well, let's take a look at, at what our own adverse event database shows with respect to those. And while we're at it, we'll take a look at these other 
oral bisphosphonates such as Fosamax and another drug called Actinel and see whether there's any similar reports occurring with, with those users. And so when the FDA did its, its uh, adverse event database review, it determined, yes, clearly there is a relationship between the chemotherapy bisphosphonates and osteonecrosis, but at the same time, the FDA made the observation that it appeared to be a class effect common to the bisphosphonates and uh, including the oral bisphosphonates based upon the number of women who had uh, been diagnosed with osteonecrosis in the FDA's internal database who were, who were on the drug Fosmax. And so at that point in time, the FDA said, look, uh, Merck, you really need to let the prescribers know that this is a class effect, that there is, uh, this appears to be a common class effect and that doctors and patients need to know about this when, when analyzing the risk-benefit of taking this particular drug. Well, Merck, this is back in uh, August of 2004. At that point in time, as you guys know from Vioxx, Merck was dealing full bore with the Vioxx problem. At the same time that Merck received that request from the FDA, literally within two or three days, they had received a reprimand from the FDA on Vioxx and the FDA had requested that uh, Merck pull Vioxx off pharmacy shelves, and that decision was made about two or three weeks later in September of 2004. So what happened was a Merck just lost one of its best sellers, one of its top three drugs in Vioxx, a $2 billion a year drug that was a significant portion of its annual portfolio. So that then translates to Fosamax assuming a more important um, position than it previously occupied at $3 billion a year, which is a huge number, but now that $3 billion a year becomes all the more important when you consider the Vioxx vacuum. So at that point in time, back in 2004, Merck decided it was not going to warn in any fashion about the risk of osteonecrosis, and it wasn't until later in 2005 that Merck made the first mention of osteonecrosis late in 2005, but they didn't do it in the warning section. They, they buried it in the precaution section, which is exactly the same, uh, the same MO that they followed in Vioxx. They didn't warn about it. You'll find it in a big section called warnings, which is where the doctors go to see what are the serious problems, and it's not in there. Instead, they put it in a section much further down called precautions, and nowhere in that precaution section do they say, look, Fosamax is a risk factor for the development of osteonecrosis. Rather, what they say is, the chemotherapy drugs are a risk factor. Oh, and by the way, osteoporosis is a risk factor for, for osteonecrosis. But that's not what the FDA asked them to do. The FDA said, look, it's the osteoporosis medications that are a risk factor for ONJ, not the osteoporosis itself. So at the present time, the prescribers are still not being warned about the relationship between Merck's Fosamax and osteonecrosis. Well, if Fosamax is meant to increase bone mass, what is it that, it, what's about the science that it concentrates a, a decrease in the bone mass or a rotting of the bone mass in the jaw? Why, why there? Well, it's interesting that you should ask that question. Let's think about the bones in the human body. What is the only bone in the human body that is exposed to the open environment? That's your jawbone. That's your teeth. What, the way Fosamax works, and there's no doubt that it's effective, in preventing osteoporosis. What it does is it inhibits a process called osteoclasis, which is osteoclasts basically are a remodeler of the bone. They purge old bone and replace it with new. Well, the problem with people who, who uh, 
uh, have osteoporosis is that osteoclasis is too active. It purges too much uh, bone in the long bones. And so the process interferes with that. But the problem with relationship to the jaw is the importance of osteoclasis is much higher in the jawbone because the way the jawbone survives is by constantly shedding itself and replacing it with new bone. And so when you interfere with the process of shedding that old bone, this bone remodeling as it's called, then you render that bone much more subject to infection because it was never designed to be around that long in your mouth. It was really designed to be around about three or four months and then to be replaced with new bone. So what has been done is the osteoclast inhibition has interfered with the process that the jawbone uses to save itself from infection. Additionally, the jawbone, because of this, uh, is much more venous, has much more veins in it than any other bone in the human body. And the process uh, that the bisphosphonate engages in also interferes with vein formation. So once you have a process set off by an infection in the jaw, now your veins, which are, which are critical to providing the blood and oxygen, which are the, 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 key, the keys to fighting off infection, well, those veins have been decreased. And so once the process starts, you don't have the protective mechanism in your mouth that other people would have because the veins have been diminished. And so that's why you see patients such as Linda Seacrest having to go through hyperbaric treatment because they're trying to increase the oxygen presence in the jaw because of the interruption of the blood supply. What's been Merck's, what's been Merck's response to your lawsuit so far? They have not yet filed their answer. What I have seen in the, the press, what they, the press releases that they have said, has been a little bit uh, noncommittal. Um, they... they have not come out and say that I have not seen one statement where they have refuted that Fosamax can cause osteonecrosis. Rather, what they do is do precisely what they've done in Vioxx and say, look, there are other things that cause osteonecrosis, including osteoporosis. And there's no reference to any medical literature that would support that, that osteoporosis is somehow a risk factor for true osteonecrosis. And the second thing they have done is reference their clinical studies and say, look, in these thousands of patients that we have studied, there has not been one report of osteonecrosis. Well, the problem is there was no dental monitoring done in any of those studies. Rather, the studies were conducted by rheumatologists and internal medicine doctors who do not make dental diagnoses such as osteonecrosis of the jaw. That is a very complicated dental diagnosis that is not made by a, a, an internal medicine doctor. So with respect to getting the raw data from the clinical trials in our, in our discovery, we've requested that. And we look forward to getting at the actual medical reports from the, the thousands of patients who went through there to see whether there were folks who had dental problems which simply weren't diagnosed as dental problems at the time because there was no dental monitoring at all. Tim, I, re I read a report that said that you uh, quoted you as saying that you made the connection between Fosamax uh, and this condition, at least partly through a process of, of deduction, eliminating other possible causes of this condition. Um, what, what is the direct, direct link, if any, between Fosamax and the, and the, and the necrosis? The, the direct link would be the, the interference with the, the remodeling process, the bone remodeling process, out with the old, in with the new. And it's that interference which sets up a process 
that uh, can result in osteonecrosis. Osteonecrosis is a very rare condition. It is not an event that occurs commonly like, like heart attacks or stroke or, or you know, gastrointestinal problems or other things. It is a very specific injury that has a very finite set of, um, of precipitators. And one of the precipitators that has been well documented is bisphosphonates, particularly in the area of chemotherapy. But here's what, where the, the deduction came down. When you look at what the chemotherapy bisphosphonates have in it, they are all nitrogenous bisphosphonates. They all contain a nitrogen atom. And the, the uh, alindronate, which is the, the chemical compound used in Fosmax, contains a nitrogen atom. Why is that a problem? Because what the, the, the nitrogen atom does is it prevents the drug from being metabolized or excreted. So it stays around in your body for a long time. Let's take the example of Vioxx. Half-life. What is half-life? Half-life is simply the presence or the time in which the drug that you've taken is present in vivo. It's present in your blood. And the half-life of Vioxx is less than a day. It washes out generally in less than a day, and then, the, then it reduces it down again, and it is completely out of your body within three or four days' time. Well, in Fosamax, the half-life of alindronate is more than 10 years. So what you see is patients who take, who take Fosamax, because they're on it forever, they're on it for, for, for 10, 12, 15 years, at a certain point in time, they will exceed the dosage of bisphosphonates that any, any, any chemotherapy patient ever got. The reason why is because the drug is not being excreted. It's not being shed by the body. And rather, it sticks around in the bones, sticks around in the jawbone, uh, and is not being regularly washed out, which is why um, you know, the, the process is so dangerous, particularly the longer you get into your Fosamax prescription period. Well, I've read that Merck has said that there are other risk factors, uh, some that you identified, including cancer and other therapies like chemotherapy and radiotherapy, poor oral hygiene, and other types of things like pre-existing dental disease and anemia and infection. How are you going to respond to that in the litigation? Well, when you look at the, the issue of poor, poor dental hygiene, uh, I, I would say let any, any person among us um, who has a free hand cast the first stone. I mean, there are always people who, um, who have not flossed. Um, but with respect to osteonecrosis, what, what Merck is going to have to come to grips with in front of a jury is that, yeah, it's kind of like a crashworthiness case. In other words, saying, look, um, you, were, uh, you, you were driving your car um, on a rainy day, and it's your fault that you slid off the highway uh, not our fault that the seatbelt didn't work. And that's exactly what's going on here. It's saying, look, folks, um, you know, you're not brushing eight times a day. Well, any dentist will tell you uh, that you don't brush your teeth eight times a day because all the enamel will be removed. Rather, what's required is that you brush your teeth once a day very well and that that is sufficient to remove the plaque. The normal process that the human jawbone goes through in terms of, of oral hygiene your oral hygiene has to be horribly bad. I mean, like, and not to sound politically incorrect or insensitive, but it has to be like a homeless person bad, where you haven't, don't have the ability 
to brush your teeth for months at a time. And that is simply not the case with Fosamax patients. Pe people who are on Fosamax take care of their body. People who are on Fosamax take care of their teeth. And they are regularly going to see their dentist twice a year, and their, den their dental hygiene is fine. The type of interference with dental hygiene that can cause osteonecrosis is profound lack of hygiene, where uh, the, the teeth have not been brushed for months and months, and there is a jaw rot going on. And because of the, the huge presence of the bacteria in the mouth, the body is simply not able to, to ward it off. And even in that condition, the body's uh, vascular supply to the jaw bones, the mandible and the maxilla, will typically fight off an infection to where it will not become osteonecrosis. It'll simply be some, uh, uh, some periodontitis. It'll just simply be jaw problems that are, that are manifested in, in gum rot or in loosening of the teeth, rather than the true osteonecrosis, which is getting down to the eye bar of the mouth, that is, the, the actual mandible, the horseshoe lower jaw. And so for, uh, it's gonna, they're going to have an uphill struggle with respect to saying poor, poor oral hygiene, because what I've seen in a lot of my clients who, who are coming down with osteonecrosis, the doctor is diagnosing them as having Fosamax-induced osteonecrosis nothing to do with poor oral hygiene. Stay with us for just a minute while we uh, break for a word from our sponsors and we'll return for some final thoughts in just a moment. We invite you to visit law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. This is Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Craig Williams. We're discussing Fosamax and the effect it's having on the drug manufacturer Merck and the millions of men and women taking the drug and the lawsuits that are starting to appear as a result of it. 
We're talking with attorney Tim O'Brien from Levin Papantonio in Florida. Tim has taken the lead in uh, Fosamax litigation. Uh, Tim, how many other cases have been filed, uh, and where do you see these cases uh, headed? How big might this grow? As of right now, as, as my understanding, there's been about 25 actual cases filed in federal court. Uh, there's no way of keeping track of, other than my own cases, how many cases have been filed in state courts. Um, the, but clearly, since the publication of the Wall Street Journal article, the, the filing numbers are increasing. Um, I myself have, or my firm has, uh, over 300 cases that we're going to be filing within the next six months. Uh, the, where it goes from here, number one, we're going to be pushing Linda Seacrest's case, trying to get that, that issue of certification decided as quickly as possible. Number two, um, eventually this case will be set up as an MDL, I'm sure. Uh, with, with the number of cases that are already out there, this is going to be an MDL case. Um, and your guess is as good as mine as to which district court that MDL will be situated in. Tim, but, you've got, let me interrupt you for a second sure. here, Tim. Uh, I wanted to ask about a comment that you made earlier in terms of Merck's knowledge about this. You said that they conducted a, uh, some clinical studies, but yet didn't turn up any evidence of ONJ. How, um, how successful is Merck going to be with the notice defense? Well, they're not going to be successful in any state that recognizes 402A strict liability. If you've got a dangerous dr drug, then your knowledge is, is irrelevant. But with respect to the pharmacology, if you talk to any pharmacologist about bisphosphonates, um, they will tell you that this was a predictable response in the human jaw because this condition actually existed with phosphorus miners, same, same basic chemical structure back in the, in the 1800s, and they called it back then fossy jaw, and these these, these, uh, these phosphorus miners were being exposed for years at a time, simply just as Fosamax users are getting exposed to the chemical, and they had this rot. So you can look at it historically and the well-known properties of bisphosphonates and come to a conclusion as to what the likely result would be for a jawbone without actually having to do a five- or seven-year clinical trial. But doesn't ONJ exist uh, naturally in the normal population? How, how can you restrict it to just saying because you take Fosamax, you're getting it, if it occurs naturally? Well, actually, the background rate of uh, osteonecrosis is, is remarkably small. It exists in the normal population, but there are specific causative factors that, that are related to it. So when you say, yeah, it exists in the population, the overwhelming percentage of the people with osteonecrosis are people on chemotherapy or on radiation therapy. So it is not something that, that naturally occurs except in just a rare set of circumstances, which are cancer uh, and uh, treatments for those cancers and in the most abject of oral hygiene situations. So could Merck solve the problem by just simply saying, okay, people that are on chemotherapy and, and radiotherapy just stay off Fosamax, don't take it? No, I don't think they can because it's, it's, that's not what's causing it. I mean, women who take it for osteoporosis are, are getting it. I think that what Merck has to do is put a clear and explicit warning in their warning section, perhaps even black box it, so that there is, number one, an acknowledgement by the company of the relationship between the drug and the osteonecrosis, and number two, so that the prescribers can intelligently talk about it with their patients. And if you look at what the actual dental journals are saying, 
what the oral surgeons in the dental journals are saying is that patients should be given an informed consent by their so if, if Merck moved it from the precaution section up into the warning section and gave the gave the warning a more prominent display, would that solve it? Yeah, depending upon the the uh, prominence of the warning. In other words, if there was a clear and explicit acknowledgement, so that the doctors who prescribe this medication are not left scratching their head as to as to wondering whether this dental condition that they don't regularly see because they don't drink dental conditions was caused by their osteoporosis medication that they regularly how prescribe. Will, how will the class action, uh, how do you hope the class action will help you achieve that goal? Well, we're actually asking for the judge to, to, um, to actually employ that as an injunctive relief. That is, to put in there as, uh, under Rule 23, a requirement that the current state of the literature be accurately represented in the warning section for the prescribers. Okay, we are uh, just about out of time, Tim. I, why don't you share with us any final thoughts you have on this uh, and uh, uh, any predictions as to where this may go? Okay. I think that in looking at this project, Merck's got some real problems. This is a, a signature injury. It's pathognomonic. I mean, it's traceable back to the Fosamax prescription by the very nature of the injury. You know, this condition is not like heart attacks and Vioxx, where Merck has been able to dodge a couple bullets by convincing juries that, you know, the heart attacks happens defense prevails, portraying these plaintiffs as cheeseburger-eating couch potatoes who had it coming. But that's simply not the case with osteonecrosis. So with respect to the future, you know, I think that uh, I've got the best partners in the world because we've had a huge war, war chest built up for once-in-a-decade cases like Fosamax, and this is one of those cases where you can prove the, the relationship by the very nature of the injury. Tim, does your firm have a website where they can learn more about you and about these cases? Absolutely. We are www.levinlaw.com. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate your thoughts on this and your insights. Gentlemen, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Tim. And, Bob, I guess we will see and talk to you next week. I think we will. Good talking to you, Craig. Nice talking with you. To our listeners, thanks for listening. This is Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.